I'm Nikki. And I'm Kirtana. And you're listening to The Chat Room. I have a new crush. What? I have a new crush. His name is Andrew Koji. He is the second lead of the movie Snake Eyes. Andrew Koji, hold on. He is so cool. Such a badass. Ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. Look him up, listeners. He's age appropriate for you. Of course he is. Andrew Koji, if you're listening. How do we make this happen? <laughs> uh, it says his current relationship status is single. Baby boy, hit me up. Wait, oh my god, Andrew and P are from the same place in London, or England, did you know that? I didn't even plan that! Shut up, you definitely planned that. Legitimately did not plan that in any way, shape, or form. That's the universe at work. That's the universe telling Andrew Koji to hit me up. I'm gonna DM you with my number, don't worry, don't be shy. Don't be shy? Oh my god, I'm gonna vomit. (laughs) I do like the fact that that did really perfectly segue into our guest this week, though. She's so great. She's one of the sweetest people. Nikki, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners who our amazing guest is this week. Today's guest is the sweet and brilliant Pia Sinha Roy. She was born in New York and raised in Surrey, England. Pia has spent the past decade as a journalist and editor in Los Angeles, covering entertainment news for Reuters, Entertainment Weekly, and The Hollywood Reporter, just to name a few. You know, my favorite thing about Pia is that she is so honest. about not just the highs, but the lows of how hard it is to work in the entertainment journalism industry. And when I say entertainment journalism, the type of work that she does is, like you said, the Reuters, the Entertainment Weekly, the Hollywood Reporter, the trade stuff. I mean, she works day in, day out to actually cover the news of entertainment rather than the celebrity of it. Yeah, I think that's like a really important distinction to make is, you know, a lot of the times people will look at Hollywood Reporter or Variety or Deadline and think those are tabloids. And it's such a common misconception because they're not. And, you know, I wake up in the morning and I read the trades every single day because that's how you know what's happening in the industry. And a lot of the time there's also like very interesting essays. And I don't know, they're, they're, it's a very important part of how our business works. And Pia is one of the trailblazers, in my opinion, when it comes to using whatever platform that she has at any of these different publications, whether she's on staff, freelance, whatever, to genuinely uplift and showcase BIPOC stories. Yeah. She really works her ass off to showcase the fact that these amazing filmmakers and all of these people are doing incredible work and they deserve to have their names in the trades as well, you know? 100%. And I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, for all the younger people deciding whether or not they want to join our industry, a very easy and free thing you can do is, (laughs) is read the trades every single day and just keep up to date on what's going on. Because what's super exciting, but also at times disorienting about entertainment is it's always changing. And the way we do business is always changing. The way entertainment looks today is not the same it looked two years ago. So staying on top of how things are changing and what people are making is is really important to surviving. Brilliant. I used to do a really good British accent when I was younger. And my dad would like, like some kids, when they go to like parties at uncle and auntie's houses, their parents are like, hey, do a dance, do this, do like a real skill. And my dad would be like, Nikki, talking a British accent. 
I'm not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding you. So instead of instead of learning a dance or a or a song, Arti would be doing some like Kathak or Bharatnatyam, and my dad would be like, "Child's play." Nikki, go speak in a British accent. Like it's just she going, "Ala." Basically, <laughs> not even kidding. That was my party trick, and he was he loved it. He loved it. <laughs> Dude, is that for real? Yeah, I'm not kidding. What would you say? He would ask me to say like common phrases like, <laughs> like get me the water. And I'd be like, oh, can you get me some water? <laughs> I can't. We're done. <laughs> I can't anymore. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm not an asshole. I'm drinking this kombucha because I had a stomach ache yesterday and I this was the thing that was closest for me to purchase and now I have to commit to drinking it because I paid five dollars for it so I mean I love that you've like put that disclaimer but I would never have thought that of you I just like can't I mean there's just something about everything about this bottle I'm holding right now that just feels like it's the antithesis of who I am as a human being but then like next to me I have a Taco Bell cup with water so it's just there it is there you go balanced out by the way it's a very Asian thing to do it's like I'm not gonna this. Yeah, it's a great, this is exactly how much water I should be drinking every hour. That is a big, yeah, that's a good cup right there. Well, Pia, thank you. Thank you again for joining us. I'm, I'm really glad to be able to talk to you because you've had such a, a lovely career so far, both on staff and, and freelance. And it's really nice to just have your voice in the industry and talking about the industry. So thank you for coming on and talking to us about this side of things, because I feel like uh, a lot of people just kind of think of writing as a little two-dimensional. It's nice to be able to, to break it down in its very 3D format and how many different varieties of writing there yeah. are, you know what I mean? Yeah, Especially yeah, within definitely. journalism. Absolutely, yeah. That makes um, sense. So- <laughs> Although, I, would, I don't think I've heard anyone call my career lovely, so I really appreciate that. I, will say- I, know, I, saw, I saw her face be like, me like (laughs) I will say it's been it's been uh, a very interesting ride and it's been fairly tempestuous in the last (laughs) last year so uh, (laughs) yeah it's been it's been an interesting one I would say the last uh, year and a half has been insane Um, yeah so Yeah. yeah and it's been good because I've been able to navigate a lot but also you have to sort of face obstacles that are thrown in your way that you don't necessarily expect and so I think that's been interesting to navigate <laughs> there was totally. air quotes for people who could not see she used air quotes, she used air quotes. <laughs> interesting <laughs> I think, well that's the whole thing with like British people using interesting because we usually use it in a different way anyways we tend to use it for uh are you sure about that is that right but yeah um is it interesting is it interesting <laughs> we don't know but yeah <laughs> it's my favorite one to throw around when I'm not sure about like you know if, if the other person is talking and saying that I'm like oh it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> well I mean let's get into it you know the first question is a is a pretty obvious one but just how did you get into writing in journalism and what specifically drew you to covering the arts and uh, film tv entertainment I've probably always wanted to be a writer I really can't think of a time where 
I didn't have that. So I don't know if you guys have this, but at, did you, at your christenings, did you have like this thing where your parents put these little things, little um, things out in front of you, and as a baby, you have to pick one of them, and that defines your future career? Yeah, we did that during the Annapurna, is what yeah. uh, is what ours was called. I don't think we did that, but if it was, it'd be three stethoscopes, and I would have the choice <laughs> to pick one of these three stethoscopes. <laughs> No, we did. We definitely did that. And it was like they put out money and they put out books and they put out, uh, you know, yeah, I think they, they also do like flower, like flowers or fruit or something like that. But then they also would put out another thing, a mic or music, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So I think I picked up the pen. Like even back then, I think I knew what I was going to do. Wow. <laughs> one of those really cheesy stories that I think I always think if I ever wrote a memoir, that would be like the start of it. <laughs> I guess it and then I became a writer. Uh, no, I, I genuinely can't think of a time where I didn't want to be writing in some way. But for me, being, you know, Indian and, and um, growing up in England, like obviously you think about, well, how can I make a profession out of this? Like writing's all very nice, but, you know, what do I want to write and how do I make money out of it? And so I think as a teenager, I sort of realized, you know, I really loved reading like the Sunday papers, but the arts and entertainment sections were what I was the most drawn to. I loved movies, um, you know, especially like in my teens, I sort of became really like, you know, became my own version of a cinephile where I was like, I watch all the movies, um, <laughs> which I didn't even get into like proper indie movies or anything. I just thought that I knew a lot about movies. And so I think that was just really starting that ball rolling for knowing I wanted to get into that. But I think initially I wanted to do something like financial journalism. And then I realized I'm terrible at maths. Like I was really good at maths until I was 16 and aced my exams at 16. And then something happened between 16 and 18 where I just. It's when they throw in the letters. It's like, is this English? Is this math? Take the letters out of the equation. I I don't know what was going on. It was just like some kind of crazy simultaneous quadruple something something and I was like nope lost it don't don't know what's happening it's literally like losing a magical power or something it was like one minute I understood it or the next minute it was gone so I literally was like I just remember telling my parents I was like I can't do maths anymore which means that studying economics at university is going to be impossible uh, so I made this sort of crazy late decision to not go study economics and do financial journalism but then to do English literature at university here and and hopefully get into writing that way and so I think that was really the beginning of sort of finding my path more towards arts and entertainment um but then like getting into like the Hollywood side of things was I I came to LA to do a a master's in journalism at USC and at that time when you're it's a two-year degree and you're off like doing lots of you know you're off doing lots of assignments and stuff. And I think I remember, obviously, we're reporting news, we're reporting politics and everything. And I just remember being like, the most interesting industry right here for me to report on is Hollywood. You know, meanwhile, I had all these other classmates being like, I want to report on Middle Eastern politics. And I'm like, cool. How do you do that? <laughs> Sitting in the basement of a very fancy journalism school in LA. Um, I don't know how that works. And so I just decided to kind of immerse myself in you know that the the entertainment industry but 
but it was an interesting one because there's like two ways of covering the entertainment industry and one is kind of going the the more visible route of kind of e you know and right. uh, and red carpets and and kind of big events and doing all of that kind of celebrity stuff and the other that was a little bit more behind the scenes and more interesting to me was kind of reporting on the business of it so mm-hmm. you know kind of things that you get in like you know la times or you know the trades would report on those and so that was interesting for me to just dive into and then once i graduated i got really really lucky we were kind of told we, I graduated in 2011 and so you know it was kind of pretty bad economy at the time still especially for journalism so we were kind of taught during our two-year degree that it's like you're probably not going to get a job so just be prepared to be a one-man band kind of fully multimedia journalist and be prepared to hustle for freelance gigs so that's totally. kind of how I entered the space and I actually started working uh, I got very lucky that I was able to, well, I hustled for that first meeting with the TV editor at Reuters. But once I sat down with him, um, he, you know, I, I, he gave me an assignment kind of right away. And that started the ball rolling. And then very quickly, they had a, a job open on the print desk. And so very quickly, I was able to get that. And then that, that I was there for more than six years. So that was my I will say, like, journalism school as great as, as it was for learning multimedia. I've got to say, I really didn't know how to report a four paragraph hard news story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I mean, that's the thing about journalism schools. I feel like you get a lot of like theoretical knowledge, but you don't necessarily get a lot of practical knowledge unless it's the type of school where they they force you to work a newspaper job or something mm-hmm. along with your your degree you know yeah. what I mean like I, I was lucky that at school they they kind of had me do that specifically where they said you have to take at least one semester where you work at the newspaper but other than that it's in terms of just classes like it's it, there's a lot of theoretical and not a lot of practical yeah which I thought was just really funny because I think with journalism as you learn like it, it, you literally just have to do it you can't really learn mm-hmm. it in theory you just have to go out there and report stories which I kind of we were doing but also it was a lot of kind of oh you know hypotheticals and I'm like no I just want to go out there and report I was just really eager to get out there and start going so totally. yeah once I once I got going at Reuters it was I think it took me a good year to and thank god I had like the nicest colleagues as well who really kind of were very patient with me and everybody just very much helped me with understanding what it was to report a very fast quick story and do it accurately mm-hmm. coherently and the thing with Reuters is it's a newswire and it goes out to a billion people a day so the story has to be simple enough and cohesive enough that it just works to give you the exact facts and it doesn't need to be anything more than that and so you know all those things you want to do about like you know I got to wondering kind of thing you can't do any of that in those kind of news stories you can't be Carrie Bradshaw this is all very like you know real serious stuff and so um yeah I'm really glad that like I had that training on the ground I had really patient colleagues and I, because I was in the LA office, obviously our main source of news were, was the entertainment world. And so, you know, I was covering movies and TV shows. I was getting to do the things I was interested in from exactly the perspective I wanted, which was from like a news angle, like a news business industry angle. Cause I thought that's more interesting to figure out how the sausage is made at times. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think 
that was kind of getting the ball rolling and, and getting me into it. And I've been so lucky because I kind of started more on the music beat. Which at the time, I was very up on, I knew all the new people coming out. Like, I still remember, like, interviewing One Direction when they had just, like, it's like their first tour in America. Uh, Ed Sheeran came in. I don't even know why my jaw dropped. I don't even listen to One Direction. It's just, like, a <laughs> really I mean, their name. It's like, what? One Direction? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was so funny because I remember we were at a hotel nearby and I, I'm, like, a little older than the One Direction crew, right? And so I, I knew who they were because they'd come out of, like, a British, you know, reality uh, competition show. And so I was like aware of who they were, but they had not broken America yet. And so I went off to like interview them and there were already fans outside the hotel trying to figure out what rooms they were in. It was hilarious. Um, I still remember like Ed Sheeran, who I had to fight, by the way, to like uh, get my editor to agree to interview him. Wow. And this is again when he was just coming out to America and I was like, you don't get it. This guy's huge in England. Like all my friends love him. We've got to get him on. They're like, we don't know who this is. And I was like, I'm telling you, it's good. And like a year after that, he was massive. But I still remember he came into the office and just did like three songs for us. Like it was just like me and Ed in the studio and he's just performing to us. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's really good. And then afterwards, like seeing him like sell out giant arenas was crazy. And so anyways, I started on the music beat um, and then was doing more film TV. And then, yeah, after like six years, I, I think I've, I think I literally probably covered every facet of entertainment news and industry news that you could find there. So yeah, it was a really, really good, very unique situation where I got to do exactly what I wanted for the yeah. For the you, you had a tribal trial by fire in like the <laughs> the biggest possible setting. I mean, because Reuters is also what other publications use to then cover things in more depth too. Mm -hmm. Like those wires, those, those things that you were blasting out is mm -hmm. exactly what people then use to go, Oh, you know, I'm going to cover this angle of this and this is my source for it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. We had to be absolutely hundred percent right on everything we were doing. And that's also, by the way, given, you know, the whole debate around news, fake news, sourcing, all of that stuff that has become a really big topic of discussion in the last few years you know, with Reuters sourcing, you can't just name an unnamed source like that. Like, there are many rounds of betting that have to happen. And I, I can't think of, I really can't think of a single story that I did where I had an unnamed source. Maybe there was one or two. But usually, if you, if, even if you have an unnamed source with a tip, you have to go out and then verify that with someone who will go on the record. You have to figure mm -hmm. out a way to get that on the record. And so I will say, like, being in that environment where journalism was not about becoming there are so many places in the last 10 years where it's about becoming a star reporter like having your own voice and brand it's, it's literally become like a brand right and I saw many peers at other publications doing that using social media to create their own voice and it was all like I wasn't allowed to do that in the same way given where I was working but I think I learned how to become a very, very solid, fast, accurate, thorough reporter. Um, and I'm really glad because mm -hmm. those skills are so easily transferable to any type of writing after that. But if you don't have that foundation, I don't know how far you can go as a journalist, really. You've got to have that speed and that authenticity and that desire to also be authentic. Like, I didn't want to take it from someone else's word unless I trusted them like I really wanted to go out and verify it myself you know it wasn't enough for me that like 
someone's like saying, oh, this happened. I'm like, no, I need to go in and now verify that this has actually happened. And I think that's something I've noticed less and less of in a newsroom. Like, I don't see people picking up the phone that often anymore, <laughs> which right. I find really weird because like, you know, especially yeah. if you're calling like authorities and people like that, you know, whether it's like calling LAPD or calling like the coroner's office or whatever, those those things you just got to do and you got to do fast. And I remember being in newsrooms where, it was like, hey, can someone just make this call? And everybody's just like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? You're journalists. Like, let's go. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting seeing how much it's changed since I graduated, um, which is it's been like a year, uh, 10 years now that, you know, since I graduated and, and entered the workforce. So it's been fascinating to see the evolution of journalism at that time. That was a Absolutely. really long answer. Sorry. I'm like the journalism newbie. I don't know what the hell y'all are talking about. <laughs> um, but as far as journalism school goes, I just want to ask one question yeah. that's completely off book, but it sounds a lot like film school where you'll talk to people who went to film school and, and they're like, I think the greatest thing I got from going to film school was the network, the class of people in my class, less the actual classes mm-hmm. I took, but the, the people you meet and then end up rising up together with. Do you feel like journalism school is the same way where that was kind of how you got that first meeting or is it still kind of like you got to just put yourself, you just got to do it? I didn't get my first meeting through that. I got my first meeting ra- very randomly, but it's because I was out as a student journalist. I was working for the student newspaper and I was the entertainment editor. So I was out covering kind of doing the work that I was interested in doing. So I was actually out covering red carpets and events uh, through the student newspaper. And when I was doing that, I was networking with other journalists who were there, who were in other places. And it was one of those people who actually um, put me in touch with the TV editor at Reuters. In terms of a network, I don't know if, I don't think that paid off for me in the same way. Um, I think it's, good for so many different professions and maybe if I was at undergrad it might have been different I was in grad school there I I think the the larger Trojan network for USC is is a really great network and almost everybody in LA seems to have come they have a connection to that network they're they're alum in some way and so that's good Um, I think that's come in handy a few times but in terms of journalism not as much I have some really great friends that I I still uh, have from journalism school, but a lot of them aren't in journalism anymore. So it's a really, really tough industry. And I think the good thing is that skills are transferable. So a lot of them have gotten yeah. into, you know, other areas. And, but yeah, I don't think there are many that are working as journalists. The few friends I have who are uh, from grad school working as journalists, we're, yeah, we're good friends. But yeah, I don't think, I, I, we'll help each other if we needed to, but, uh, but none of us are working in anything that, any of us have gotten each other if that makes sense I think it was just you know it's nice to have them there but it's not something that paid off for me personally it's definitely nice when you have a journalism degree and then if you don't do journalism that the skills do transfer like you say because like I do have a journalism degree but I'm obviously not doing it like full-time but I can still tell my dad and my mom I can still say like no no see I I, that video editing thing I did that's because of journalism I did that I learned that through my J school no exactly I mean you didn't waste your money it's okay no it's well you didn't here's the thing you haven't wasted you are doing something with it and that and that is good where it's like because you've got those core skills you can like figure out what you want to do but yeah it's uh 
is a weird degree to do, I suppose, if you don't want to be a journalist. I don't know. Or if you don't go into journalism, what do you do with a journalism degree? But yeah, I feel like I, I feel like a lot of I've come across a lot of people who have journalism degrees but have gone off to do very interesting other things. And so I think it's I think it's fine. <laughs> Good investment. I don't know, 95% of the people going in here are, are not coming out successful. It is terrible. I don't know what the actual stats are. I will say yeah. as women of colour, we're probably like the lowest on the success chain there. You know, there's so, so few of us, uh, especially like South Asian women in this field. It's it's impossible. Like you kind of, you know, have the, the names that you know, and then that's it. And you can count those yeah. names on one hand. And so, yeah, it's terrifying. I, I understand like that fear. One of the things we wanted to, to do with you is is really talk a little bit about the nitty gritty when it comes to writing on staff versus freelancing, right? You've been on staff, like we said, Reuters, Hollywood Reporter, a lot of places, but you also have freelanced, which is a can be a very different career in a lot of ways. So can you give us, this is a... I know a tricky answer, but as in in the easiest format that you can think of, can you kind of give us a day in the life of what each of those kind of look like? I should clarify, I've only actually been freelance very, very recently because I, until last year, had been staff at every place I've worked. But but I worked as a journalist and as an editor and obviously worked with a lot of freelancers. And then now, more recently, I'm freelance. Although I haven't just been doing journalism, I've been doing a little bit of different things. I think day in the life of kind of a, a, when I was a staff writer was very much kind of being on every morning I would start by looking at what's trending you know the thing about being in LA is you're kind of like at the end of the world really like the rest of the world has woken up and had their day and you're catching up at the end of it in some ways right. and so you're kind of catching up on what's already trending on the east coast and what's already going on and so I always feel like you know I'd be sort of you know up at seven like immediately looking at what's breaking and what's what's happening yeah. um and then yeah, just getting into work, we would have, you know, uh, a news meeting um, in the mornings. And so that's to sort of just decide what are the stories we're putting our focus on today. Mm -hmm. And then you're sort of given like your assignment. If, if you're covering one of those stories, you're given that task of like, right, you go off and you start reporting that or, you know, mm -hmm. figure out what you're getting and then, you know, circle back. Um, as an editor, I was doing the same things, but I was obviously assigning out stories to, you know, the the writers uh, who I managed. And so um, it's a lot of just kind of being on top of like whatever's breaking. You know, some days I, w I think when I was at Reuters, the day to day was so different. Like they're, they're really just I was never covering the same story twice, really, whether it was a movie, TV show, whatever I was covering. There's always different things I was doing through the day or you know, when you're in awards season, which is a six month long thing, that's its whole kind of, you know, it's its own pattern and it changes every year. Different things are like a core focus that particular year. Like I remember when Oscar So White came up, like every story right. around the awards became, you know, about examining that through different lenses. And so, you know, each year for those things present different issues that you have to kind of you know, go through award season or festival season, looking at those things through a different lens each time, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, that's kind of been, you know, the day to day as a freelancer, which has been <laughs> very, very recent. My days are a lot more <laughs> calm, look calmer. <laughs> my deadlines are very different. I, I, I've literally mm -hmm. come out of just 10 years of being on deadline, like every day of my life being on deadline. Right. So yeah. 
I'm actually just taking time to like enjoy not being on those deadlines. Now, any deadline I have is a lot more kind of, you know, leeway on it or just a much, much more longer lead. When you're churning out stories kind of hourly, then moving into like, a, I went from Reuters to like Entertainment Weekly, which is a magazine pace. So it's a little bit different, but still fairly, fairly quick, fairly consistent. And then moving to Hollywood Reporter, where I was an editor, and that's very fast again, breaking news deadline based and so it was all very full-on and I don't think I stopped really like I was trying to maintain a better and I have to bring this up about work-life balance because I wish I didn't have to learn this the hard way but I learned really like too later than I wish I had it's not worth living and breathing this career it isn't yeah, yeah. and unfortunately yeah. we're conditioned into thinking that's what we have to do it kills me that I have sacrificed so much in 10 years of doing this career only to come out having been laid off twice in the span of 10 months uh like I was going up the ladder you know I was I was actually doing well I was working incredibly hard I was pushing myself to you know make sure that I'm you know really kind of getting the skill set and the knowledge to move up you know I think that's that you know spirit inside of us that we're always taught to like do the absolute best you can and so I didn't just go into journalism and and half-ass it at all I went in and I dedicated myself to it six years at Reuters I lived and breathed it and because I was young and like you know living in LA on my own kind of thing like you can immerse yourself into that world like it was very easy for me to just completely and utterly dedicate myself into this. Like after work, I was going to, you know, premieres or events or whatever, like that was all networking and it was work. And then my friends were all like people that I work with, like publicists and other journalists, like the entire, my entire life became this ecosystem. And I realized the first time I was laid off in June, 2019, all of a sudden this thing that you've built up, is just swept away from you overnight Mm -hmm. you you have this great title you have this you know people know your name and there's some prominence level and then it's just gone like right it is gone and and it's obviously like you know the relationships you build you have to rely on those still sticking uh and and good people will stick around but it was really jarring really jarring to think after you know eight years of this industry at the time I was like I worked so hard and it's all just gone in like a second it's just I didn't know how to like didn't know how to identify myself anymore I was like am I still a journalist what am I and it was really awful suddenly to realize I'd missed so many like all my family's birthdays you know I never I barely came back to England like once a year I'd come back and even then I was crazed and I was like, I've missed so many milestones, so many everything for what? For this career that just literally spat me out because they decided I was too expensive to keep, you know, right. when they're downsizing. And the reason that I was like too expensive because I've worked really hard to get to that level where hopefully I can start getting that slightly higher salary, start moving up that ladder. And so that was really jarring. But then, you know, that was... It, you know, it was a learning experience. So then a few couple of months after that, I was actually very lucky. There was a job at Hollywood Reporter for a senior edit, editor position um, and for film. And so I, I came on board at Hollywood Reporter and, you know, fate would have it. Eight months later, pandemic hits, you know, we all go into lockdown and all of a sudden the magazine once again, because it's, you know, it's journalism, it's 
you know, there's a, it, it's a struggling industry in itself. And all of a sudden, once again, I became too expensive to keep. And it's just like, yeah. oh my goodness. Like, and, and this the second time around, it was less shocking. And I was, it was just more kind of resigned to like, wow, that just happened again. And I just couldn't figure out like, part of me is like, what did I, if I just flown under the radar, if I just stayed in, you know, as a writer, like on a lower level, if I didn't fight to move up, if I didn't fight for higher salaries and a higher position, I wouldn't be in this position. I'd probably still have a job. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm, it, it sucks that like, I'm literally one of the very, very few senior editors and journalists of color, like a woman of color in that space. And, and I'm gone, my voice. And again, that once you're gone, you're gone. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been really jarring. And I've just been I'm, I think I'm still processing a lot of that. And I think I'm also just understanding kind of where I'm trying to figure out where my voice can be used in any potential way. You know, I still love writing. I still love writing articles. I still love writing anything really. And so being able to do a couple of pieces here and there freelance has been nice. You know, it's been relaxing in in not having to work towards, you know, those daily or weekly deadlines, but, you know, have longer leads. But also it's been nice to step away and do some consulting or do some awards work and not be in that space entirely. And I'm honestly just, I'm trying not to have any bitterness around any of it. But I will say that in a year where there's been such a, a call for voices like mine to be in those senior levels, to watch all of that play out and to realize like, and I'm just sitting here, like, yeah, not doing anything in a way. It's really strange. And so it's been like an interesting reckoning for myself. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's good. Like I'm kind of, it's good to have moments of transition and change and it's good to reassess. You know? The first time you and I spoke was because Vinny Chibber put us in touch about the Disney Plus story. Vinny. So, and I remember thinking that it was really exciting that you guys were covering this, this Disney plus story about the disclaimers that they had about, you know, how their, some of their movies may not be representative of, of the times now or whatever. And you guys went to different BIPOC communities in order to get their reactions. I mean, that, that's like a story that when I was, you know, first coming up in journalism, I wouldn't have seen, you know? So doing those kinds of stories, covering those kinds of stories, or, you know, assigning those kinds of stories out. I mean, what, what kind of challenges did you face for, for things like that? Cause you know, we've talked a little bit, a little bit about the challenges that you face as a, as a BIPOC, yeah. just when it comes to writing, but specifically about actually the stories. If the simple answer is it, it, it's not going to change until more specifically, like I think Asian journalists, right? Like I think, it has to be a truly diverse newsroom has to reflect all of the communities that exist out there. And, and you want to have journalists from each background. Like I, I don't want to expect like, you know, a, a black reporter to have to then navigate every single diverse community because they're the black reporter. So they have to handle totally. every story of diversity in the same way that like me being the woman of color in the newsroom was kind of like, okay, well you must cover all of these movies and TV shows that are now diverse. And it's like, no, like, you should have a diverse newsroom anyways and that seems to be the biggest challenge that like I don't want to see Asian journalists be diversity journalists or whatever diversity editors I want to see us reporting on all the stories like my first job at Reuters I covered everything 
I did, I literally, yeah. it wasn't just like black movies or, or Hispanic movies or whatever. I was literally covering everything, whatever I could, whatever was the talking point. Unfortunately, you know, like most of them tend to be, you know, kind of white and male dominated because that is Hollywood at the end of the day. But at least I could try and push for those answers. Like when I was writing the Aladdin cover story, like I, for, for Entertainment Weekly, it was the first look at the uh, live action Aladdin and it was, di- you know, the cast was was black and, and Asian, but the director and everybody behind the scenes were not, you know, his white English guy. And so, you know, I asked him, I was like, why do you, you know, why do you feel you were the person to tell this specific story, given where it's set? What experiences do you have of those places? Like, how can you connect to this character and the and the world, right? And people get defensive when you ask them that question. Yep. And they get defensive and prior, and, you know, one of the things that I've heard a lot is like, well, that question wouldn't have been asked a few years ago. And it's like, no, it would have if you had gotten me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I would be asking you this question. Whether or if the white journalist didn't, then that's their fault. That's not yeah. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I also think, you know, I think it's a problem when we're constantly putting for all the diverse filmmakers out there. And I hate saying diverse because really, you know that like in-, in it's, uh, it's an alienating word all, it's all about that. It's a dumb word. Yeah. Like in, I was saying Anchorman when, you know, somebody asked Ron Burgundy, what is diversity? is like, I think it's an old, old wooden ship. And I'm like, that's literally what I think is, di- <laughs> that is diversity. It means nothing. It literally has zero meaning. It is an old yeah. wooden ship. But in all of it, any filmmaker of an, un, you know, representing an underrepresented voice or a background, I hate- that award season is now happening and I'm reading stuff. they are all asked about like diversity has to be in the headline about yep. any story about them the fact that their movies are delving into some very nuanced ideas and what mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it's like diverse like diversity in the headline and I just I want to get to a point where I'm like I'm sorry but why was why was nobody else really pushing Noah Baumbach about marriage story which is set in 2019 LA and New York not having any characters of color can any major characters of color can someone explain to me how two very diverse cities seem to be reflected in that way why are we not asking Noah Baumbach about that why are we not asking Greta Gerwig who I love and I love her movies but why are we not asking her that hey in adapting Little Women did you not think that maybe some of the characters could have been characters of color like you know did you not think about like just reflecting more diversity in your cast if we don't ask that of all filmmakers, especially like white filmmakers, then I just don't, you know, I think these things are never going to change. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's down to every reporter, if you're going to be asking those questions, to ask them in a nuanced way, but to be really, not to make it a throwaway headline for clickbait yeah. purposes, but to like really actually do the work on covering it and, you know, we are where we're at now and it's fine. And there, listen, there are many great journalists out there doing the work. And so I don't want to, I don't want to take away from what they're doing. And I think change is hopefully slowly coming, but it does suck that it's like, I'm not one of those people who can go out there and, you know, I'm currently not one of those people going out there and asking those questions. Well, as, as we kind of wrap up, I want to bring it back actually to something that you had said earlier that really stuck with me, which is something we're all ingrained to, you know, sit, like, put your, put your head down, do the work now, and you can enjoy later. Like, that's what my parents always said, like, mm-hmm. work hard now, enjoy later. And in this process, I've realized, especially over the past year, I don't know how to enjoy. Like, I, I've spent so much time, 
working and trying to like get this job and get the career and, and the yeah. career has become my personality that now I'm sitting here during a pandemic where I've, I've never more in my life realized I need to do things, not work. And right. I don't know how, I truly don't know how, I mean, this today is supposed to be a day off. And I answered two emails and my boss texted me. I was like, what, what is your problem? Like, <laughs> to me too. go take a walk. Why are you, I gave you the day off. <laughs> what are you take doing? Day off. Um, but that's the thing that's, I don't know how to enjoy. And so this is something that I am just, I'm going to like really nail it only because like I had such a harsh awakening like and look the past year all of us have had to be home more and I think everyone's coping the way that they can in any way that they can and if work is what is keeping you moving every day then I get that like don't change that but I will say in you know eventually when normal times resume please please don't let this job this career this profession take over because I will say in my last job I started to put these boundaries up the problem was it was a little too late to the problem was that yeah. I'd already set a precedent mm-hmm. for myself working so much that it was like a, a little difficult to put there but I did I I was like I tried not to open my laptop at home you know if I didn't have to obviously there were times where you have to but like bringing my work laptop home which I didn't love doing anyways but if I'm bringing it home I, I really tried not to do it unless it was an emergency I tried to like tell my team listen like you know, let's try and stick to these hours as much as possible. And then, you know, anything that happens outside of those hours, we have people covering those hours, but also do it if it's an emergency, if it's really, really worth that. Like, because I was also like, I want them to spend time with their families at home in the evening. I want them to like have their evenings as well. I didn't want to be that manager being like, you know, the story broke at 11 p.m. Where is it kind of thing? Like, I, I just didn't want to be that person. I just, it's not healthy. It's it's not right to expect that from everyone. And it's not right to expect that from us. And we, I think we were told to do it early because I think there's an inherent thinking, oh, if you do this work, if you put this work in now, it'll pay off later. And I am living proof that it does not pay off later. It's not yeah. worth it. It is not worth sacrificing your time. And if anything, like, I just tell everybody like please please like switch off work is not your life because at the end of the day like when it is taken if it's taken away or when it is taken away because we just don't know like journalism journalism is a struggling industry so anything can happen just it is such a jarring experience and then you're really left feeling very empty and don't that's why I'm like just do the things that make you happy like if there were classes you wanted to take, if there's a hobby you wanted to do, there's like books you want to read, like figure it, like put that time aside now. Do that every day, every weekday, put that boundary down because you have to. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I just, I don't think it'll be a bad way to, to operate if we can instill that. I think the biggest problem has been that the people above us, you know, the generations that have come before us, the way that they are, they treat, a lot of us coming in when we come in is to like put you through the ringer because yeah. it's like this idea maybe they were put through the ringer so they feel that they have to do the same it's an idea of this is a privilege to be in this industry and this is like yeah. you have to earn your place in it and in all honesty it's those attitudes that have kept so many of us I say us I think it's kept a lot of people out because really yeah. it comes down to privilege you know if you can't afford to do it that way or if you don't have the connections um, then you're probably going to get broken down and hustled out. And that's not right. And so I, yeah. that's why I'm just more and more sort of being like, put your, yourself first, put 
what you want to do first and put like what you want to get out of it. Like think about your own goals and where you want to be and then think about, you know, how this job is going to get you there. And if it's not going to get you there, think about whether it's something you want to be doing, you know, and if it isn't, maybe it's time to think of that change. But whatever you do, put that time aside for yourself every day. This, if you're, if, if anyone listening is like looking into journalism in the entertainment industry, I really hope I haven't put you off. Um, <laughs> worried I might have, but at the same no, time, no, not at all. You you added a you added a t- snippet about covering Marvel and Chris's A through Z, and I think oh, yeah, you got every, yeah. you got everybody at that point. You get to talk to all the boys and all the girls and everybody in all in the boys you've loved before <laughs> and after. I mean, I'm still there. Is one actor that like is you know I had his posters in my room since I was 14. Like it is surreal to me that I get to, you know that I got to be in a room with him and ask him questions and you know we're now at a point where like you know he gives me if he sees me and I'm like oh hey it's me and he'll pretend to remember me and give me a one-armed hug obviously pre-covid times we'll probably never get to do that again but like and I'm so I I just stay super cool during the one-armed hug bit I'm like yeah yeah cool cool and afterwards I've just like run into bath go oh my god I can't believe I can't believe that guy just like like 14 year old we're gonna ask Pia offline who this is you guys don't I know I'm like she's super careful not to say who it was Anyone who anyone who knows me knows exactly who it is. But it's not a huge secret, but I'm just I, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be cool. You never know. Never know who's gonna listen. You know what I mean? You never know. Yeah, like if he's listening, I don't want him to be like, oh my god, I'm just get like get a restraining order against me. But no, you do get to meet like awesome people in it, and like, and the best thing is like. Listen, celebrities are like made up to be these huge mythical figures, I think, you know, and and the best thing has been sort of seeing that they are human. They are people just like yeah. us. Truly, they the stars really are just like us. And and just to understand that, you know, a lot of it has been like luck or connections, like time and place, luck, talent, all of those things correlating into, you know, a person finding, you know, some some great success in their careers. Um, I think it's good to like know you know how somebody rises up and what they do and you know for some people they've really 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 hustled some people have gotten really lucky it's really just it's it's a crapshoot and it's okay you know like everyone who are doing great things are doing great things and and as long as they're good people and you're getting to chat to them it's it's really fun and you do get to have great conversations and the industry is such a fascinating industry if you're interested in covering business there is no better place than Hollywood to cover those, like all the deals being made, all the like mergers going on, you know, all the studio stuff happening and the Netflix of everything. It's all fascinating. Like there are so many, so many interesting things. That's why your your day-to-day, my six years of covering this world at Reuters and my day-to-day never looked the same. Like, and then I shouldn't even say six years, literally 10 years of this industry. And not once do two days look the same in any way and so if you want that career it's an excellent way to go but be prepared you know just know that like the industry overall is is struggling and you know because of that they you know changes are, are often very quickly made so just prepare yourself you know have other plans take time for yourself to make sure that when it's if it goes away you're not left facing a giant empty black hole in your life all of a sudden um which you know is jarring but you will come out of it no matter what happens so yeah it's 
it's a fun world. It's a roller coaster. It's challenging as hell, but it is. It's a fun. It's a really fun. You know, it's Hollywood. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pia, we just want to say thank you again. It's, it's <laughs> so lovely to be ramble. <laughs> I really do think that what you've done in ten years of your career is just so valuable, and to have a South Asian female voice in the news industry, I, I can't tell you how comforting that has been. You know, oh, especially especially you. being one myself, and then getting out of it a little bit. I mean. Yeah. Just be being able to see that and see your see your name and bylines and and also getting to see a lot of the rep- the stories about representation that you've been able to tell and assign out and and report on yourself is I can't I can't I really I can't tell you how how important that is for so many people so Aww, I really thanks. thank you for that but also <laughs> thank you wait, for- wait, wait. are you are you excited that we talked to her I can't tell I don't know <laughs> I'm apathetic oh no but I but I also think that like now <laughs> having gotten to talk to you at this stage like it it's nice to get a, we we all need to be realistic about about the world in which we live in and the industry in which we all work and so to have a very realistic conversation with you about it just a super real conversation with you about it is is very important so thank you for that also entertainment journalism makes the world go around like I cannot even tell you like as soon as sometimes (laughs) like I have to do damage control before my boss even reads it like I need information like especially during pilot season I'm constantly looking at the like it, it's so, so important. As someone who who still, like, I, I, the way I still cover it is obviously through Brown Girl Magazine, which is our, one of our co-producers for, for, the, for the podcast. Uh, which you know, is awesome, by the way. I love the work you guys are doing. Thank like, you very I, much. I haven't gushed about you guys. Like, I truly am in awe of all the stuff you've been doing and each of you with your careers as well. Like, truly, you guys are doing the work on the back end. And, and that's why I'm glad that people you know, who are listening, get to get to hear from you as well, because I think it's important that I think people need to know like what it's like to be on behind the scenes. And I think that Mm -hmm. because that knowledge has been missing for so long, now people are getting to actually understand it. And then if they want to enter it, they're being more informed, at least. That's so important. Thank (laughs) you for having me. This has been so fun. I wish we got to get in person with Chai. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking to uh, Rehana. Rihanna Mirza, who's uh, who's an amazing playwright, and uh, at the end of our interview with her, we were like, we really need mimosas, but chai also sounds really good, too. The Chat Room is hosted by me, Nikki Menon, and me, Kirtana Sastri, in partnership with Brown Girl Magazine. Wallavi Sastri is our consulting producer. All podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh, and opening music is by Sridhar Bamnipati. Special thanks to Thrisha Sukujawalia. Please subscribe to The Chat Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Thanks for tuning in.